don't stop when you're moving forward. It's one of my favorite sayings is persistence prevails when all else fails. And moving forward, even when it feels like you're sliding backwards, still brings you forward. And sometimes there are much greater steps forward than you even realized at the time. Welcome to The In Factor, conversations about how great entrepreneurs started, stumbled, and succeeded. I'm Rebecca White, and our next guest, Joe Hodges, is the former founder and president of AmeriClaim Solutions and Inetico. His most recent accomplishment is a new venture called Care Valet, aimed at solving the consumer healthcare access maze. As an industry pioneer in the healthcare field, Joe is focused on creating viable consumer and industry solutions, as well as mentoring the next generation of entrepreneurial leaders. He has a wealth of knowledge and experience in the healthcare and entrepreneurial field, and we are glad to have him share some of that with us today. Please enjoy this episode with Joe Hodges. Joe, I'm so excited to have you today on the program. You're one of those people that every time I have the chance to talk to you, I always feel better. I feel more positive about things in the world. So you've got a great aura and you're a great entrepreneur and it's really exciting to have you on the show today. So thank you for joining me. I'm very glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Sure. So let's start. As you know, this podcast is designed for entrepreneurs, but also we talked to a lot of nascent entrepreneurs, students who want to be entrepreneurs. And I know you've got a background in education yourself. You've got a doctorate actually. And so you value education, but we always like to start by talking a lot or start by kind of looking at your background and kind of understanding where you came from. So how did you get started as an entrepreneur? Was that a dream of yours as a young child or when you were in school, did you, were you one of those students that had your own company while you were there? It's funny. I, it started off just a little bit differently. I wasn't a very good student when I was younger, but I always liked to work. As a matter of fact, when I was 10 years old, I wanted to work so badly that my mother, we lived in Augusta, Georgia. My mother brought me downtown to downtown Augusta and got my work for me because when you're working as a child, you had to get a work permit. So going into town, I got that. And then I was able to get a job at the country club as a dishwasher. And so I worked at the, as a dishwasher to start with in a country club. And that's kind of where all of this started. I wanted to work so badly. And ever since I was 10 years old, I've had a job, like a legitimate job in some capacity. That's really cool. You know, my daughter was like that too. She ended up going on and getting her master's, but she loved working and she started her first job when she was like 15, working in assisted living, 15 or 16, maybe 16, she had to be 16, but, but it was, she loved working. So what did you love about working? Was it making money or was it just getting out and doing something productive or what really no, appealed to you? It, yeah, it's funny. I, it's weird. It's never been about the money. And I'm kind of glad that I had that desire to work early on because what I learned was that it was about the sense of accomplishment. I always felt accomplished when I, when I worked. And what was interesting about that is, I guess in the early years, I didn't understand the value of education because I didn't know how to apply it to those things. But having that work and feeling accomplished and, you know, and 
having that feeling of being done with the work shift, like, and like I contributed to something was really huge. And it was funny because I found that core sense in me led me to some really amazing and experimental things. And I learned too that the money seemed to always follow. The more I worked and the more I enjoyed doing the work that I was doing, the more money seemed to follow. And so it was and, a good uh, side. It was a good side benefit, right? It was. It was. It was pretty neat. So, and it was great. And coming from a family of eight, you know, I was one of eight kids, and I am one of eight kids. And you had to kind of fend for yourself a little bit. So, <laughs> it was great to have my own little stash of cash to do right. what I needed to do. Right. Well, that's great. Well, you've been very successful, and you've built most of your career at least what I know of in the healthcare space. And your current company, Care Valet, aims to help solve the consumer healthcare access maze through quick touch access to care from the comfort of your customers' own homes. So that's what I've read about it. What, what are some of the services you provide? What does that mean? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. When I used to own a more complex healthcare company where we worked with people. I had nurses that worked for me and we worked with people that had chronic illnesses and conditions. And one thing that I learned was they had barriers and access to care. And if they wanted to find a service or find a doctor, they had to figure out who was in their health plan and are they accepting new patients and all this. So I wanted to solve that front end consumer problem and give what I like to call a guided consumer experience. And in giving that guided consumer experience, I wanted to give them a tool that allowed them to simply access their healthcare providers in their network to get connected with them, get appointments, but to also have an immediate level of service available to them. And so we incorporated telemedicine into that piece, 24-7, 365, to help them get all of those pieces together. So Care Valet really I built as this tool to really simplify that consumer experience because we know that navigating the healthcare maze can be really challenging. And we wanted to look at the behavioral economics around that and help solve that problem. Very cool. Very timely today as well. So let's go, let's back up a little bit. You mentioned that you were in a more complex healthcare company prior to Care Valet. Let's let's talk through how did you get into healthcare and bring us up to date to Care Valet. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, there's a story. I, so my bachelor's degree was in health education and with a minor in public health. And I got that at Florida State University and back in the mid-90s. And my first job coming out of college was as in a nursing home. And I got hired not because I had any clinical skills, but because they needed an admissions coordinator and I needed a job. And so that job paid $19,500 a year. I thought when I got out of college that, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make, and back in the 90s, at least $35,000 a year. That's going to be great. Right. You know? <laughs> but that wasn't the case. So I decided to take this job and I realized that you know, I knew my worth work ethic. I, I love to work. I would work very hard. I'd give everything my all. So I took that job and I told the administrator, the nursing home that I had been in had never been filled in decades before I got there. And they had 144 beds and they always operated around 128 patients. I mean, it was in a rural area in Winter Haven, Florida, and they were not known to be the premier facility. Not that they weren't a good facility, they were a very good facility, but it was an older building. So it didn't mm -hmm. appeal to. So I asked the administrator, if I can fill this 
facility in the next 30 days, will you raise me to $35,000 a year? <laughs> and he said, yes. And so what did I do? <laughs> you built I had it. that building yeah. and I kept it filled, you know, the time I was there. So after those first months, within the first three months I had made the, or the first month I had made the $35,000 year salary. And then I noticed that when we were bringing in this mix of patients, that the quality of, and the, the amount of staffing that was required needed to grow too. And I learned we had a therapy department in there and the nurses needed assistance with the activities of daily living for this senior population, you know, getting them bathed and fed and teaching them and reteaching them these skills in modified manners. And so I went to the therapy department and we had four therapists at the time. And we moved from four therapists up to 24 therapists within a matter of a couple of months. Wow. And the therapy hired me because I was helping them grow their business. And I became a subacute care director. And then we brought in more complex cases and the support network to help fill that in, which then changed the revenue structure for that burial building. And I went from 35000 to $65,000 in three months of getting my first job, which for me was the world. That's phenomenal. I was, I, I, first brand new car out of that. Right. Right. That's a great, that's a great mindset that you're talking about there. The, the mindset that you can, you know, you don't have to accept exactly what, what was offered to you, but that you're going to, you know, add value to increase value to your employer and thereby hopefully share in that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I like to call that the stages of my entrepreneurial journey, because when we talk about entrepreneurship, we always think about the entrepreneur leader, the idea guy. But we know that there's a lot of people that play roles in the entrepreneurial spectrum. And the role I was playing at that time, I was working in a current business, but I helped them build a model that they didn't have yet when we were building that subacute care program. And it took my desire and need to succeed and recognizing the opportunities that existed within the organization to help build those new branches. I like to call them, you know, build new capillaries within the lungs, you know, take deeper breaths and really just get the system moving and the heart moving and the blood moving in the organization. And when we built that, not only did it begin to thrive there, but it started expanding out into their other facilities. And I ended up traveling around and moving to other facilities to help build their subacute care programs and to help get them their accreditation, which at the time was Joint Commission Accreditation for Subacute Care Facilities. And we did that, and the last facility I was in, we got accreditation with accommodation at 100%, which was the first time Joint Commission had ever given that accreditation level in a nursing home. And it was one of the proudest moments of my life to not only be able to build the program, but to build it at a level of quality that met the highest level of standards. Wow. And yeah. it was really exciting to me. And it really helped forge and anchor me in the healthcare spectrum. And so that's where I, I started, you know, and moved, moved on from there to then starting to jump into my own little experimentations of businesses and healthcare. Wow, that's impressive. I love that. And I love your stages of entrepreneurship as well, especially for a lot of the students that are listening today thinking maybe they're not quite ready to start a company as soon as they graduate. No. This is a different path, somewhat entrepreneurship, we call it, but, but also building your entrepreneurial muscle and your skill set in the process. I love it. 
So you went on to start a couple of other companies before Care Valet, right? And they were all in the healthcare space? I did. I did. I started a company called called AmeriClaim Solutions, and I had a business partner. I Right after the nursing home, I, I worked for a third-party administrator, which is a company that provides healthcare services to large employers who want to pay their own medical claims instead of going to a traditional fully insured plan. So I worked there for about eight months and I learned that there were some opportunities in that spectrum that would improve and save health plans and employers, especially and employees money on their healthcare services. And it was this cost containment world in healthcare. How do we prevent all of these exacerbated charges from occurring that we hear about in the news so often? And so I, I started a company called AmeriClaim Solutions and went around to these self-funded plans and these third-party administrators independently and started negotiating claims when they fell out of network. I started connecting them with care management programs to get nurses in front of their patients when those patients were trying to navigate the healthcare system. And I built that and I had that for about three years and I had a business partner and I felt the world of technology was moving in a way that we had to leverage that. And at the time we were managing everything on Excel spreadsheets and I had built inside our company an access program to help manage that piece as well. And it was working beautifully, but I knew we needed to invest further and simplify these, the transition of claims activity, the transition of care between hospitals and patients and health plans and insurers so that providers got paid in an appropriate time frame, patients got care in an appropriate time frame, and that they were at the, the best quality of care and at the best price that we could get. And so after three years, my partner wanted to really take a different path than I did. And we decided that it was better that we went our separate ways. And at this time, it, it felt like a failure to me because I sold the business to him because he wanted to keep it. And I didn't have the business maturity yet to fight for it hard enough or to understand how to fight for it, to own it. And so I took a two-year non-compete. And I didn't realize the blessing in disguise. I went from that entrepreneurial journey to that entrepreneur journey again. And I went to work for Humana during that non-compete period. And I decided this is where education really became a very important value to me, that I was going to learn from the large insurance companies how they managed healthcare, how they treated patients, how they did everything that they did. So I became a product development manager within Humana in Louisville, Kentucky. And then within a few months, they recognized my skill sets went beyond just product development. And I became the business development manager of Humana Puerto Rico. And we grew that health plan from 50,000 lives to 200,000 lives within that two-year period. And when my non-compete was up, I knew that I had a much stronger skill set. And it brought me to my next company, which was called Inetico. That's that exciting. You know, one of the things I keep hearing you talk about is adding value creating value. And I think value creation is something that every entrepreneur focuses on, but it's just so obvious in your discussion because every opportunity you got came through your ability to see, an op- to see a chance to create value and give that value in some way and make a difference. So that, that's really cool. I like that. So um, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, I was, I was just going to say it's, you really learn a lot about yourself. To be honest, I didn't know what I had within me until I, I stretched that muscle and even tore it up a little bit. 
And even, you know, I tell you that moment of going into Humana, I thought, I, uh, now I got to go work for somebody again. And I thought I was failing, but I wasn't. I was going on this journey that not only built my muscle in there, but it gave me a larger resource network of people and experiences that I, when I built the next company, it launched me into the stratosphere there. It made a, a huge change in the way that I could work with people and direct people and grow and use this network to build trust within a very, healthcare is not necessarily, the, as a healthcare leader or in the insurance area, you're not the, necessarily the most trusted people. And so you have to earn and work your way into that trust and then prove the value. So, but it, I it love gave me that. those skills. I love that you brought up failure because failure is something that we like to talk about in this program because it's so often a part of the process of success. And it sounds like, you know, you've learned that what initially might look like or feel like failure is actually an opportunity to learn, right? And is that your approach to it? Do you have any other, any other ways that you look at, at failure and obstacles and, do you have a, you know, an approach for building your own resilience in those kinds of situations? Yeah, you know, it's kind of an experience has told me, you know, you hear it, you hear great consultants and leaders say these things all the time, but really the failure was more training. I went back for more training is what I did. And in my entrepreneur journey is where I got the training to help build that strength and that muscle. And it's, it's interesting. I follow Tony Robbins and I love Tony Robbins because I like the, the mindset of challenging yourself where you are and forcing yourself to make a shift that reduces your skill set initially, but then builds a greater strength or, or appears to reduce your skill set. But it's really just the building phase. So we're operating at this level. And then when we make that change, when I went to work for Humana, my entrepreneur skill set took a little bit of a dive, but my, the strength of that training allowed me to make this next rise to get to that next level. And so that's where it brought me from Humana to make that move into Inetico. And then I had that company for 15 years and that growth was amazing. It was a beautiful and incredible experience. Now, how did you exit from Inetico? Yeah. So, so Inetico I had for 15 years and that was a nurse case management and disease management company. And we were hired by these large employer groups across the United States to care for their patients and help them navigate through the healthcare system. And to, we managed the processing of their medical claims and we brought them networks of doctors and hospitals with the best discounts. And so as I went through that after 15 years, I never thought I would sell it. I enjoyed it. I had an incredible team. I had 53 employees or 63 employees when I sold it. And building you know, that team of people, I had such amazing, amazing, talented people there that I honestly didn't have to work as hard as I did. And it gave me the ability to get creative. But after 15 years, I, my CFO, who was approaching 70, said to me, he goes, you've worked really, really hard for 15 years. And you get a minimum of the, over the last several years of eight phone calls a day from venture capital companies and private equity firms who want to buy you. And he goes, and Joe, they, they want to buy you to grow these programs. He goes, it creates an opportunity for you. You can go to work for them or you can sell it to them outright. He goes, why don't you, instead of telling everyone no and just riding this along, he goes, why don't you see if there's an opportunity to make this better 
And I want you to listen to just three companies and just see what they tell you and see if there's anyone you like. And if you don't, continue down the same path. And I decided to do that in one of the firms that approached me. I really, I liked where they came from. I liked the idea of, of where they wanted to go and what they wanted to build. So I agreed to sell to them. And I made that transition about three years ago and sold Inetico and made my departure from there because they had some ideas in a direction of the company of where they wanted to build that. And I was on another path and journey at the time. I had just started my doctoral program at the University of South Florida and thought, what a great opportunity for me to now go through that path again where I might take a little entrepreneurial dip, but I'm going to gain such knowledge that I can take that next leap. And that's what I did. I got my doctorate at the University of South Florida in business administration and was excited to have that, you know. So, that is and, very and cool. Care of LA at the same time. Right, right. And so that brings us up to Care Valet, and your title is Chief Disruption Officer. Great title. Where did this come from and what does it mean? Well, so in 2013, you know, in my journey, I, you know, education has always been important. And I went and I sought it out in a lot of different places. And prior to going for my doctorate, I would go to programs like Exponential Medicine at Singularity University. And Singularity University was started by Peter Diamandis and is out in California, in Palo Alto, California. They have a great accelerator program and incubator program that they have. And but this Exponential Medicine program that they have was really fascinating to me. And they were bringing leaders in healthcare from around the world to share ideas and to discover thoughts and to, you know, to really kind of forge this community. And as I was there, they always talk about 10 to the ninth, 10 to the ninth, which is a focus on Moore's law. And Moore's law was always fascinating to me because as we know, is Gordon Moore in I think 1965 was asked by Scientific American Magazine where he thought technology and computing would go over the next 20 years. And he said, well, it will, you know, double in capacity. It will, computers will reduce in size and they will reduce in cost by double every two years and or thereabouts. And what happened was when you look at the doubling over time, when you hit the 20th iteration of doubling, it looks like a linear curve, but at the 20th iteration, it takes an exponential upward shift if that doubling continues. And here we are 50 years or so later, and Gordon Moore's theory you know, of exponential growth actually became Moore's law. And that shift of what looks like linear growth, growth into that exponential growth is still moving forward. Technology has launched us into this thing. And what happens is when you get to that 20th shift, you reach this disruptive level of nature because suddenly what has been considered the norms and patterns and paths are now shifted. It's, it's again that mind muscle that we're pushing and we're realizing, wow, our gray matter is going to have to handle a whole lot more information here. And it makes us look at the world differently. And we're in a great place today because we have the opportunity to look at the healthcare world in a much different vision and much different capacity than we ever had before. And it's given us this, these doorways now to go in and experiment and make improvements that are significant to the people that need them, the patient and the consumers, and to really create a world where we can have very healthy people that we're giving the opportunity for people to be their healthiest. And that's the goals. Yeah. So the disruption, is, I wear that, my tattoo, 10 to the ninth, 
which is the 30th iteration of that exponential growth curve. And so it represents a billion. And my goal, this is my talisman, and my talisman is my goal in healthcare, in anything I build, whether it's Care Valet or anything I do in the future, is I want to positively affect the lives of a billion people. And when I get there, I know that I will have reached that goal. And that's where my mind is today. That's, that's what I want to do. I feel that we can really do this and make a great, significant shift in the world. That is impressive and amazing, Joe. Love that you shared that with us and love your tattoo. I'm able to see it because we're doing this right now during a time when there is extreme disruption in the world. During the COVID-19 pandemic, your beautiful cabin in North Carolina, and I'm at my home in in Tampa, Florida, and we're using technology to continue to share stories of inspiration about entrepreneurs. And that's an inspiring, inspiring goal. And I wish you well with that. You know, the services that your company provides, such as telemedicine, 24-7, 365 days a year, you know, it's been important, but we're recognizing through this significant change that we're all in living through right now that it's probably going to be even more important because right now we're trying to level out that curve. We're several weeks into the United States response to this virus. And we don't want a lot of people at hospital emergency rooms right now. We want people no. to try to, to get better on their own if they're, unless they're, of course, in critical need of healthcare. But, you know, telemedicine is, is becoming very, very important So what I'm guessing that through all your studies, your doctoral program, all of your entrepreneurial experience that you've had and your your studies at Singularity, that that led you to this concept of telemedicine. And and what do you see, what does the future look like for not just telemedicine, but for healthcare? How are we going to emerge after this? And, you know, do you have any thoughts that you might share with our audience about what healthcare is going to look like when we come out of this? Sure. Yeah. You know, it's the one thing that we're seeing with this COVID-19 crisis that we're having is with all of us social distancing and self-quarantining, which is the most responsible thing that we can be doing at this moment, is we're realizing the value that technology has, not just in our ability to communicate as we're doing here today, but in financial transactions in paperwork transactions, in shopping, you know, and using tools like, you know, Instacart and, and things along those lines and Grubhub to get food. And we realize that we're in a new social world, which creates a new level of social currency that we're all becoming accustomed to and getting used to. We're realizing we have been going through over the last month or so, the pain of the physical world that we have been able to engage in. And we're now finding ourselves in a world where we're using these virtual tools that were created. And and at first they look like toys and games, and that's the way they came to us. But we're realizing the value that these things that had been built over there, they actually were built ahead of their real practical use, which is now to support us if we find ourselves in a crisis like this. And we'll find a path and a way, you know, in our hearts and our minds and our souls to connect and communicate through this. And hopefully it won't be for a long period of time, but we realize we won't lose that social value, that social currency. On the care valet side, when I'm looking from this from a healthcare perspective is, you know, telemedicine is one piece of what we do. 
We have appointment setting, we have ID cards, we have the network of doctors and hospitals. They're ranked by cost and quality so you can figure out where you wanna go and who you wanna work with. But our rule from a behavioral perspective is to ensure that a consumer, when they come to our platform, is able to make any decision in healthcare they need within one or two button pushes. We need to simplify and wanna simplify that. Taking that into the current situation that we have and the value that we now have in healthcare is we know that our hospitals are overrun with people that are critically ill and they need those beds for the critically ill. Those physicians that are working in those facilities and nurses and other care workers that are working in those facilities need to be giving their time and attention and resources to those people so that they can save their lives and keep them well and healthy. At the beginning of this, when we're looking particularly at COVID-19, is we're all concerned of our own health. I'm suddenly not feeling well. I don't know what to do. And this is where we found that telemedicine has played such an important role, is our patients, and we have a number of patients across the United States, are calling in to the doctor, and the doctor is helping them identify what kind of symptoms they're having. If they're potentially COVID-19, symptoms or if they're potentially a cold or flu or something else that they may be experiencing. If it's one of the others, they can prescribe a medicine for them and the medicine can be delivered right to their home from a delivery service that now is being provided by all these pharmacies. So they don't even have to leave the comfort of their home. But what I found fascinating was we have several patients that are COVID-19 positive that are not having the symptoms where they have to go into the hospital. So the telemedicine physician is following up every three days with them or, or sooner to follow along to ensure that they're not accelerating into the highest level of risk and that they're still meeting a standard that they're maintaining. And if they are meeting that, then they're going to have them sent to the hospital right away. But it's taking because the majority of people, you know, are not having to be hospitalized out of this so far as from what we know and can tell. And the telemedicine role plays such an important piece in that. And we're learning that, hey, there's a new pathway now into the healthcare system where, you know, we already know that 60 to 70% of emergency room and urgent care visits can be managed by a telemedicine doctor. And so the world now is learning the value of these telehealth services, how to use them and how to put into play and how to be comfortable. You know, it's great. We're on Zoom today and we're learning that there's all these virtual services that allow us to not just talk with the doctor, but we can even look at them, we can show them what's going on and you know, so on. And this is really terrific because now the consumers in the world are learning how to engage with these great tools that have been put out there. And this is what we're learning. We're changing a bit, it's painful at first, but we're learning at the same time. Right, so we all want to believe, and I believe, that there will be some very positive changes that'll come out of this crisis that we've been through. We just have to stay strong and support each other, right? And remember that, that we're in this together. And I love that, you know, and it's really interesting to me that you are well positioned in a lot of ways as an entrepreneur to address and to be one of the many people that will help address the needs that we have going forward. So it, it's exciting to see. And I think there's opportunity for Care Valet and for many others to really help us gain a sense of, of security that might otherwise be lacking during a time like this. Yeah. We never expected to be in the position that we're in as a company right now. It certainly boosts our, you know, our value. We're glad we're here. 
because we have that ability to help fill in gaps that are needed, particularly at this time. But I'm really, I'm glad that we're here to help in this crisis right now. And, you know, going back and having that sense of accomplishment that I described, you know, in my earlier work is I'm proud to be here. And my team is working so hard because we're so emotionally and personally invested in the care of all of our patients that are on our platform, because we want them to come through this in the best possible way that they can and ensure that they've got tools in front of them and that they're connecting at the speed and pace that they need them to, to ensure that they're comfortable, not just caring for themselves, but for their children and for their spouses and anyone else on their health plan. You know, so we have a great responsibility there and we need to be sure that we're constantly functioning to support that. That's wonderful. Well, I want to switch gears to something I think very positive and fun. You know, during this challenging time, one of the things that I think helps us all get through any challenging time is people. You know, we our support <laughs> network. And I know that I know from talking to you at other times that you have some amazing experiences with support along the way. You've had a lot of people that have helped you. And and I'm just really, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your startup days and, and how the outpouring of support. I think during a time like this, it could be very inspiring for us to hear that. Tell us a little bit about what happened to you once you made the leap into entrepreneurship. Yeah, it was really it was really fascinating. In those early days when I was starting my first company, I had people that sort of came out of the woodwork and it really became apparent when I started iNetico after I had left Humana. So I had AmeriClaim Solutions and then I went to work for Humana and then I came back from Puerto Rico to the United States to start iNetico. And to be honest, I started this company and I had no venture capital. There were no accelerators available to me, you know, back in 2004 that I knew of. And here in the Tampa Bay area, they just didn't exist at that time. And I didn't know a lot about how to go out and get money other than going to the SBA and applying for a loan. And I had no collateral. So I started the company anyways. And I fortunately had some customers that believed in the service I was providing. So I started off with a few customers, but I only had $3,500 in my 401k. It was the worst 401k that anyone could have ever had in their entire <laughs> lives. I was terrible about putting money away because I was living, you know, as young people do, I lived on the edge, you know, I, I spent it as I got it. And when I was getting going, I had, I walked into a Chinese restaurant called Ho-Ho's and there was a gentleman named Victor Leon that worked there and I was making an order and he just started asking me about myself. And I told him who I was and what I was doing. I just moved back from Puerto Rico. And, and he goes, wow. He goes, Joe, he goes, that's an incredible story. He goes, I'm excited for you. He goes, you know, when we came to this country, my parents and I started our Chinese restaurant, but we didn't have all the financial resources. And we had a person who believed in us and helped us with our supply chain needs and and our building and, and restaurant. And so it helped us get going. He goes, this is what I want to do for you. Now, I didn't know this person from Adam. You know, I just, I just walked in and started having a conversation. And he goes, are you making any money yet? And I said, no, not yet. I said, I live in the closet <laughs> of the office because it was either get an apartment and try to work out of there or get an office and, you know, try to hire some staff and, and have a place to build. So I did that instead and there was a closet and I literally slept in the closet when we weren't working. And so he said, 
it's clear you really don't have enough money to meet your needs to, to eat and all that. And he goes, and I don't want you to worry about food. He goes, I want you to come here every day and I'm going to feed you. And he goes, and you better show up every day because I'm going to feed you because I know you're going to be a success. Wow. And I couldn't believe that someone who I had just met would be willing to invest in me with that gesture. And, and, you know, and these, this is the, you know, we know in the food industry, it's your margins aren't really great. You're right. every time you give something away free, it's, you know, it peels back on your margin. And so he did. And I, I went in every day and he told his staff, he introduced me right away to his staff and said, when Joe walks in, he goes, you feed him whatever he wants to eat that day. You know, you, you make it for him. And, and that would be, you know, we'll take care of it. So at that same time, I was just sharing, and this is the important thing about sharing your vision and your journey and where you want to go with friends and with new people that you're meeting. I had another friend who he was a pastor on the weekends, but he worked for Southwest Airlines, you know, during the week and, and he was a flight attendant and he had just gotten divorced and he had a companion pass at the time. Southwest would allow you for you, if you were a flight attendant to give the ability for someone that was you would consider a companion to travel for free. And he said to me, he goes, look, he goes, I just got divorced my wife. And he goes, and I have this extra companion pass. Would it help you get connected with your clients around the United States? Or are they all here in Tampa? And I'm like, no, they're, none of them are in Tampa. They're all over the United States. And he goes, well, anywhere Southwest can fly, you just can fly standby and you can go see them. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I couldn't believe here. Here I was, now I was able to eat and I didn't have to worry about that. And now I had the ability to travel in an unlimited capacity to see as many new clients as I, I could. So then I started thinking, and this is where the resources really came in. I had friends that were in sales roles. They sold pharmaceuticals or medical devices or, or you know, other goods and services. And I started calling them and saying, hey, are you traveling to this city or what's the next city you're going to? And they would be like, oh, I'll be in Houston or I'll be in Philadelphia or I'll be here. And I said, well, Southwest flies there and I can fly for free. If I can get up there, can I just stay in your hotel room with you while I run around and see clients? And they were like, sure. Oh my gosh, I'd love to have the company after my work day's <laughs> over. And so I started doing that. And literally when I was getting this company going, I had these friends now that I would stay with them and I had a, a friend to hang out with when I was in these other cities after I got done meeting clients. And within three months of the start of Inetico, I was in the black. Within six months, I bought my first house there. And I created a strategy. I had a woman named Maureen Beacott who came to work with me. And we had a strategy that we would put 20% of everything we earned aside into a separate account. And we wouldn't look at it for a year. And Maureen was probably the most wonderful person in the world. There's a whole story behind her as well. And these are the people that invest in you. But on this particular account, I'll never forget the day three years later, she knocked on my door and said, Joe, remember that 20% account? She goes, I've been putting the 20% in and it's three years later and you haven't ever asked me that. I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot about it. And I went and I looked in this account and I said, well, what do we have? $50,000? And she goes, you have $700,000 in there, Joe. And I about had a heart attack because for three years, we were still, we weren't printing money. We were still struggling. We had to make payroll. We had to make, you know, we were very tight right. in the budget, but she never, she put that aside. And when I told her, put it aside, I don't want to think about it. She put it aside and made sure I forgot about it. And that day when she came up and told me that I couldn't believe it. It 
was right at a time when we were ready to take the next level of growth in our company. And it allowed me to make those investments. And I was beside myself. And, and it was just really neat to know that from these people that invested in me on the outside and the inside of my company, who took their role so seriously or, the, or their friendship and their gifts so seriously, they all gave me these presents. So to this day, you know, Victor Lee, Robert Morgan, that, you know, was the gentleman who worked for Southwest, these people I will never forget. They were such important people on my journey, Maureen Beacott, because they, who, and Maureen still works for me today, you know, so, That's but, great. Uh, but, you know, just it, these people invested so heavily in an idea that I had. And I, I still, to this day, I, I, I can't believe that someone thought that much of me that I could carry these ideas forward. It's the most honoring and flattering and humbling thing that really could have ever happened to me in my life. You know, the, the other part of this story, I think, that's so powerful is the difference that each of us can make in the world. I mean, because of their commitment and willingness to give to you, you've been able to build companies that have been able to improve the health and the lives of, you know, your goal of a million people, right? And so mm -hmm. it just goes on and on, doesn't it? It's, and again, it back to where we are today, it reminds us that the simplest things, even making a phone call or providing support and inspiration to help each other keep going, or providing a meal, or providing an airline ticket, or a place to sleep, all those things make a big difference, and we can all do that. that I love those stories, and it's a great and inspiring way, I think, for us to kind of sort of start to bring our conversation to a conclusion. I could sit and talk all day, but I just have a couple more questions for you, Joe. You've been an entrepreneur sure. in healthcare now for a while, and you know, you've been looking, you're a futurist, and what kinds of opportunities do you see, and, and what kinds of advice would you give to any aspiring entrepreneur, maybe especially those in healthcare, but to any aspiring entrepreneur? You know, it's, I would say that the first thing I would say is, is just don't stop when you're moving forward. It's one of my favorite sayings is persistence prevails when all else fails. And moving forward, even when it feels like you're sliding backwards, still brings you forward. And sometimes there are much greater steps forward than you even realized at the time. And never stop with that, with that momentum. So get out there and try it. Try it knowing that it may not seem, it may seem like a failure or it may not seem like it's moving, you know, in the direction that you wanted to, but in reality it is. And you're going to hear things along the way. Some will be good advice. Some will be bad advice that, you know, that's out there, but know that no matter what you're doing, don't get so married to the idea of what you're doing at all times. Learn where you can pivot because we all go out with our vision of what you know, we have, but it's that pivoting that allows us to take those next larger steps forward. And we may end up solving a problem that we didn't even know we set out to solve in the end. And if we believe in ourselves strongly enough and we are confident enough in who we are and we're humble enough to know that not every idea we have is the perfect idea, but that the need that we can solve can be much greater than anything we ever started to if we just listen and we move in the right direction when it occurs, will take us to much greater heights than we could ever imagine. I could never imagine being in the place that I am today. I could never imagine having a beautiful nine-year-old child. 
I could never imagine that I'm, I'm sitting on 28 acres up here in North Carolina, tucked away and feeling safe and secure and still being able to communicate and collaborate in the world that I am. And it was really just my ability to pivot, sometimes against my will, because I can be a little stubborn headed as we, as we can be, but I can look back and learn and say, you know, these were the right decisions in the end. I love that. Joe, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. And can you uh, leave us with where our listeners might be able to find you or connect with you or your company? Sure. I'm Joe Hodges on LinkedIn, and you'll find me as CEO and Chief Disruption Officer at Care Valet. And then also they can reach out to me at joe at carevalet.com. And I love to mentor people. I love to hear their stories and I love to collaborate. It's interesting. Some people that think they're in the position where they're starting come with some really unique experiences that allow me to grow as well. And that's why I love mentoring because I I learn as much as I can teach and I hope the value of my lessons are good for them as well. Thank you, Joe. Take good care. Thank you so much. Take care of yourself.